Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. I'm so excited about what I feel God has been stirring just in my own heart over these last few days and weeks as we've been preparing the sermon series and preparing tonight specifically as well. And um, I would love for you to open up your Bible, get it out, whether it's your phone or a tablet or the good old-fashioned paperback, which I love. Get out your Bible. This church loves reading the Word of God. And I want to invite you to open up to Mark chapter 4. That's in your New Testament, in case you didn't know that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. But let's open up to Mark chapter 4. I feel like Phoebe from Friends. You know that episode where she loses her voice? And she adopts this bluesy jazz-like singer, you know, persona. So I will attempt to woo you tonight with my bluesy jazz-like voice. Maybe you experience Jesus more if I speak in a, ju- in a juicy, not juicy, jazzy, blues-like manner for the evening. But as you turn to Mark chapter 4, I want to ask you this question. What if... Going to heaven was not the main point of the gospel. I might step on some toes. I realize that. But what if just securing a spot in heaven was not the end all of it all when it comes to the gospel of Jesus? You see, Doxadaya as a church family, we're very passionate about the fact that the gospel, even though it does bring that security in the sense of my eternity, we believe as a church family that the gospel, friends, is so much more. How do we know that? Because we're still on earth. (laughs) You are still breathing. We are still busy expelling carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Because if the gospel had its main point in securing your parking ticket or your placeholder in heaven, then why are we still here? What is the point of breathing? What is the point of living if there is not more to the gospel than just getting to heaven one day? Revelation 21 paints a picture of Jesus' mighty return to earth. It paints this picture about the new city of God descending, coming from heaven to earth, where God then makes his home amongst his people on earth. The new city, the new earth, the new heaven coming together on earth. And then in Revelation 21 verse 5, God makes this statement where he says, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making all things new. Now, here's what I love about that sentence. If I wasn't a pastor, I would definitely be a preacher. But class, this sentence is in the present continuous tense. Yes, right? That means this action is not finished yet. It is not completed yet. It means that this action of making things new is what the ING gives us the clue. It is currently busy 
happening. You see, we sometimes have this picture that all of us are going to be, you know, raptured up to heaven in a moment and then everything left on earth will be annihilated. But here God is making a statement saying, I'm not in the business of annihilation. I am in the business of making things new here today. What does this mean? It means that God loves his creation. He's passionate about what he has made. He loves creation. In in fact, in the beginning, he said creation is good. We normally start the narrative by saying creation is bad. You know, things are going to get worse. Things are going to go to hell. But there's a promise where God is saying, no, 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 no. I'm not in the business of annihilation. I'm in the business of making things new, taking the here and now, taking you as an individual, taking your workspace, your business, your classroom, your neighborhoods, your families, and bringing about my shalom. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus makes the statement in John 4 verse 10 where he says, if you knew the generosity of God before you, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. Tonight, we want to look at the generosity of God, but specifically what the generosity of God means for my life today. If the generosity or the gospel of God is not only about having a ticket holder, a parking spot, a placeholder for one day, what does the generosity of God mean in the here And now today, as a student, as someone living from, you know, Nesfas payment to Nesfas payment, as a young working adult, working hard to pay bills, what does the gospel mean in my life today? Mark chapter four, here we go. In Mark chapter four, we find Jesus doing exactly what the Jews would expect the Messiah to be doing at that stage, right? He's moving from town to town, house to house, you know, people to people. He's teaching them in parables. He's healing the sick. He's bringing about the gospel, the good news of God to earth. Standard Messiah stuff, right? Exactly what you would expect the awaited king, the awaited savior to be busy with at this stage. But this chapter takes a radical turn In Mark 4, verse 35, let's read it together. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Dum, dum, dum. Not the other side like death, okay? Like the other side. Not that other side. But here is why this is a shocking statement. Here's why. You see, the other side meant crossing into the region of the Decapolis. Now, just a little bit of history. Here is what that means. That basically meant going over into a geographical space, a region where there were no Jewish worshipers. It was Gentile country. It was cities filled with history that came from Canaan. Now, if you remember Canaan in the Old Testament, they were the fierce enemies of God's people. 
They were the people that God would chase out, chase away so that his people, the holy nation of Israel, could move in. Crossing over to this region meant going into Gentile country. Dum, dum, dum. Friends, Gentile country meant this. Idol worshippers, people that had zero reference, zero ounce of awe or wonder or respect for the Jewish God. Unclean, immoral people who ate pork. Can you believe it? They bride fark choppies on a day-to-day basis. If you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound too bad, it's because we also come from that lineage, just saying we are also Gentiles, all right? Crossing over to the other side meant going into a God-forsaken place where people would sacrifice children as worship to Baal, where they would have immoral lifestyles filled and influenced by liberal Greek mythology and thinking. Pagan altars everywhere. This was not the place the Jewish Messiah should be seen. And Jesus says to his disciples, disciples, let's go over to the other side. Can you imagine what they must have been thinking at that moment, going, um, Jesus, Mia, we don't go to the other side. Do you know those people? The farkfrieters, the pork eaters, the ball worshippers, the children murderers, the satanic worshippers. Jesus, we don't go there. And Jesus says, disciples, let's go to the other side. On their journey to the other side, they're in a boat, they're on a journey to the other side. What happens? A storm brews. They're caught in a storm. It's wind, it's waves, it's chaos. And can you imagine the disciples must be thinking, mm-hmm, told you, Jesus, this is a sign. We should not be crossing to the other side. This is a sign from God himself. We should stay in safe Jewish country where people actually like you, where you're gaining some fame where you are breaking boxes and people are coming to know you as the one true King and Messiah. And Jesus, instead of conceding to the storm, what does he do? He displays this massive act of power where he says, storm, be still. And it happens. Can you imagine the disciples going, okay, guess we're going to the other side. And they go. See, this is an important part of information because let's quickly go to the next chapter, Mark chapter five, to see what happens on the other side. Dum, dum, dum. I know what you're expecting, a warm, festive welcome. Palm branches being laid at Jesus' feet saying, welcome, O son of the most high God. We have been awaiting you for centuries. Welcome to the Decapolis area. Welcome to our cities. Won't you teach us the way of God? But let's read what happens. Mark 5 verse 1. They went across the lake to the other side, right? When Jesus got out of the boat, a man um, that is demon-possessed, an impure spirit, 
came from the tombs to meet him. What a welcome, right? Can you imagine the disciples? They're going to the other side with Jesus, full of skepticism going, Jesus, this is not a good idea. Do you know the people on the other side? They're not our people. They get there, they get out of the boat, and what happens? A deranged man comes running at you. (laughs) Can you imagine that? A deranged man, completely out of control, runs to Jesus. And here the disciples must be thinking again. "Mm -hmm. Told you, Jesus, this is why we don't go to the other side. The other side is filled with people like this. Exhibit A, all right? This is why we stay in safe Jewish country where we worship the one true God. What a warm welcome, right? They would have probably been thinking, Jesus, we want to get to the cities. Now that we're here against our will, we want to get to the cities where your message will matter. And here this nuisance of a man comes running from the graves full of nonsense. Friends, if this were to happen today, this is the the picture I had in mind. I love um, trying to picture these biblical events, but in our settings today, right? So here's what I imagined. I imagined Jesus and his disciples all getting into a minivan, like a a Volkswagen, you know, here they go to the other side. They get to the other side and this deranged man approaches them and I'm imagining the disciples going, Jesus, roll up your window. (laughs) Don't make eye contact. Because if you don't make eye contact, maybe he won't bother us waiting at the other side while the deranged man is at their window. Don't we do that? Let's just pause here for a moment. This happens to me a lot. And I'm preaching to myself. But friends, how many times are we not in a moment confronted with someone who needs the love of Jesus and we are tempted to, in a sense, roll up our car windows and just go, I don't have time for this right now. I don't have time for this right now. I'm on my way to church. I'm on the serving team tonight. I need to be there by quarter to five. I don't have time for this right now. That happens to me a lot. That's why I'm preaching to myself tonight. Just some food for thought. But let's continue with the story. They're on the other side. Instead of a warm welcome, a completely deranged man runs towards them. And what does Jesus do? Still determined, he strikes up a conversation with this man. He doesn't go, buddy, I don't have time for this right now. I'm on a mission. I need to get to all the God-forsaken cities where people are sacrificing children and eating bride choppies, you know, and worshiping Baal and having sex everywhere and living immoral lifestyles. I need to get there. Instead, Jesus strikes up a conversation with this man. Let's read and see what we know about this man in verse 3. This man lived in the tombs. Hectic. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. 
night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. Here's what we know. We know this man is obviously homeless, a complete outcast in society. He lives alone among the tombs. The living no, no longer want him, so he spends his time among the dead, right? How scary must that not be? We read that clearly he's in some form of spiritual bondage. He is stuck in severe anguish and pain. He is not under the lordship of Jesus. He belongs to someone else. He belongs to the enemy. He's under the lordship of someone else. We can see he's clearly in a lot of pain. He hurts himself. He cuts himself clearly deep in his mind, in his soul, in his spirit. This man is in anguish. Why would Jesus cross dangerous territory on water, face a storm on the way, face a very unwelcome welcome to cross into the other side, the God-forsaken regions, just to meet one demon-possessed, deranged individual. Here's why, friends. Because God's generosity, preaching about what does His generosity mean for us today, right? God's generosity has three things in mind. It has individuals in mind. It has neighborhoods in mind. And it has cities in mind. That is what the making new agenda on God's heart looks like. Making individuals new that can in turn make neighborhoods new, that can in turn make cities new. And what better place to start than one deranged, obviously mentally ill even individual. Jesus zooms in on this man. He doesn't shy away from him. In a moment, he lavishes his love on this person. He sets him free. He strikes up a conversation with all the demons crawling around inside this man. And the demons start begging. This is like something out of a movie. The demons start begging saying, Jesus, please don't harm us. Send us to the pigs on the hill. There are 2,000 of them. Send us that way. Jesus says, Shop, go. And they go. And in a moment, it's very dramatic. Go and read it. But this man is completely set free from all the demons inside him. They rush into a herd of pigs numbering 2,000. And all 2,000 pigs jump off a cliff into the ocean. Shame. As an animal lover, I feel this like deep in my bones. Shame. But in one conversation, this man is completely set free. In his right mind, restored. Can you imagine the disciples now going, okay, cool, 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 Jesus. See what you did there. Now let's go to the cities. How could this God-forsaken place not believe you once they hear about this? How could they not fall down in worship? Once they hear that this man, who's been an outcast for how many years, is restored. 
and he took 2,000 pigs with him, dead, gone, in the sea, floating away. Shame. The disciples must be like, cool, cool, cool. Let's, okay, I see what you're doing, Jesus. Let's go get them. Let's go slaughter all the pigs if we need to, to save the cities. Let's read what happens in verse 17. The people began to beg with Jesus to leave. What an anti-climax. In today, again, imagining if this were to happen today, we would pack up our bags, calling this a failed mission trip, going, you know what, let's, let's regroup. Maybe we should plan better next year. Maybe when we start, you know, having meetings about the outreaches to the Decapolis cities, we should just have a different budget, you know, arrive by plane and not by boat, you know. Maybe we should come via a different route, maybe the N1, you know, that's a main road and not like a sketchy road that enters into the graveyard for some reason, right? What an anticlimax. You would imagine Jesus going, Ninya. I've arrived. The Son of God is here to bring freedom to the people. But it says right after this, after them begging Jesus to leave because they're terrified, obviously, he leaves. He goes, okay. He turns around, makes his way back to the boat to head back again to Jewish country. He's obviously not welcome here. Now, before we move on to the significance of that moment, let's just pause again for a second. Friend, do you realize, and this might be news to you, but do you realize this outcast we read about, the one living amongst the graves, the one isolated from the love of God, the one clearly, clearly in a lot of anguish and pain, do you realize that's you and me. Now don't go running home, calling your parents, telling them, mama, papa, my pastor said I'm a demon-possessed, deranged individual. Should I stay in this church? Because that's not what I'm saying, okay? I'm not saying all of us are demon-possessed. If you're wondering whether or not you're demon-possessed, trust me, you're not. It's a choice. You go looking for it. You go begging for it. You go agreeing to it. A demon doesn't accidentally fall into you. That doesn't happen. That's a, that's a preach for a different day. But friends, this is you and me without Jesus. Why? Because without Jesus, you and I, we're wandering around amongst the graves, spiritually dead. Without Jesus, we are isolated from the society, the community, the fellowship of God. We're emotionally broken. Without Jesus, you and me, we're in anguish and pain and in need of restoration. And until you don't see yourself as this individual, before you don't realize God's generosity towards you first, then we can't move on. But for the sake of time, let's move on. One more point before we move on. What I love about this story is how it so clearly displays the gospel. 
Why do I say that? Because of this. Long ago, God also decided he will cross to the other side. He will cross dangerous territory to go into a region where he would not be welcomed. Earth, right? Long ago, God decided, I will go. I will go where they are broken. I will go where they are lost. I will go where they are in need of a Messiah. And even if they end up crucifying me, killing me, I will go to display my love and my making new agenda to my creation. Luckily in this chapter, they only ask Jesus to leave. But a little bit later on, instead of asking Jesus to leave, they end up crucifying him. Saying, you've crossed over into dangerous territory, man. You're going to pay for it. And that act would set us free, right? Let's read how this moment ends. Meeting the deranged man, setting him free, and then, then what happens? Let's read. As Jesus was getting into the boat, so they begged him, please leave. We can't take this. You're too scary. He says, okay, cool. He turns around, heads back to the boat. And then what happens? The man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. Classic. I meet Jesus. That means I need to be a pastor. I'm going to go with Jesus, right? I'm going to go to Bible school now. I'm going to go work for the church because I met Jesus. And what does Jesus do? Jesus did not let him. What? He did not allow him to come with. Instead, he said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. How he has had mercy on you. And it ends by saying, the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that was 10 different cities. Crazy, right? 10 different cities of baby slaughterers, ball worshipers, pork chop eaters, immoral people. He goes there and he starts telling them about what Jesus had done for him. And what does it say? All the people were amazed. What was the key for Jesus to reach an entire city, one man, one deranged individual being set free, being restored, being lavished by God's generosity. Why would Jesus cross dangerous territory to head to God forsaken places? Because he had the city in mind. He had the individual in mind. Faith had to become a reality to that individual first. But God had the city in mind. Can you see his making new agenda being put on display? He says, he doesn't, note he doesn't say to this deranged, now set free individual, go home and impress them with all your theology. Go home and strike up an argument on Instagram and YouTube and Facebook, disproving all the liars out there. He doesn't say go home and judge them to heaven. 
go home and Bible bash them. No, he says, go home and tell them what I've done for you. How I was generous to you. Let's make it personal. No wonder. What if the key to reaching the spiritually lost on campus, what if God wants to use you to do that? Chanel, in the hospital where you work, what if God's key to making things new in that space, bringing about his shalom, what if he wants to use you to do that? Giselle, in your studies, what if there are people that God wants to reach and you are part of that agenda? He doesn't want to use someone else. He wants to use you. Friend, put your name in there, your workspace, your classroom, your school, your business, the hospital. What if God's making things new agenda in that sphere can only happen through you. If he can use a demon-possessed, deranged individual to reach thousands of people, what can he do with your life? But in this story, faith had to be a reality to this individual first. He himself had to have a radical encounter with Jesus. And then what happens? He is set alight. He is set free. He is sent on mission to partner with God in his making things new in the here and now today. I want to end with this. Just this thought. A few practical things. Friends, this is why we do street store, for example. This is why we have something like pop-up and skills development. This is why we believe firmly in having school workers involved in different schools in our city. This is why this church, we put up our hands saying, if we find babies in dumpsters, we will take care of them. We will take responsibility for them. We see the spiritual lostness, the systemic brokenness and the emotional pain of our city. And instead of rolling up my car window and not making eye contact with that, I say, Jesus, bring about your newness through me. I will do it. I'll put up my hand. I'll partner with you in your agenda. I want to invite the band to join me so long. I want to end with this. We've been um, exploring this idea of generosity and we've been giving feedback over the last few weeks about how we're seeing God's generosity, God's making things new happening in our city. And tonight we want to share some stories like this. It's because of the generosity of God, friends, that we host something like an Alpha course. If you're wondering what Alpha Course is, Alpha Course is where we create environments and spaces where we can ask the big questions on life, faith, and meaning. Quick story about Alpha. Brent told me this on Friday when we were having coffee as a staff. He said he had a conversation with a young man um, that recently did Alpha at Central Campus. This guy joined the church, get this, via this, he watched the Good Question Show episode. What? 
Praise Jesus, that's why we do it. He watched a Good Question Show episode on who made God. And he decided to go to church. He decided to go to Alpha. And after the first evening, he went to Brent and said, I want to give my life to Jesus. I realize I don't know God. Friends, it's because of the generosity of God that we do something like Alpha. It's because of the generosity of God that we go to the nations like Zimbabwe and Lesotho. It's because we carry around the conviction going, we will not wait for things to be annihilated. We carry the conviction that God wants to make things new in the here and now. We will go and facilitate and bring about God's shalom, His peace, His rule, His reign, His glory, not only to Bloom, but to the nations. It's because of the generosity of God that we have a space called Life Center. Friends, Life Center is a space where our church is partnering with healthcare professionals to facilitate and bring about restorative processes in the lives of people that don't have the finances to do so. We're trusting God for even more partnerships with more professionals giving their time, their energy to come and sit and meet with people to help facilitate God's peace in their lives. Friends, it's because of the generosity of God that this church is passionate about something like leadership. It's because of the generosity of God that we host GLS every year. We're not bored. We don't invite leaders and people of influence and young people and students to GLS each year because we have nothing to do. No. Because we believe if we can come alongside you, as a person of influence in the space where you are at, imagine, imagine God's shalom coming through you. How wonderful would that be? Next week and the week after that, we're going to give you a very practical opportunity to partner with this making new agenda of God by actually contributing to the generosity fund. But for tonight, we just want to respond in faith. We want to respond in faith, saying, God, thank you for making me new. Thank you for restoring me. Thank you for crossing dangerous terrain to meet me in the grave sites. Thank you for crossing storms. Thank you for braving a very unwelcome welcome on earth to make me new. Now give me faith for my city. Give me faith for my neighborhood. Give me faith for Bloom, for Mangaung. Give me faith for our country. Give me faith for the nations extending our country. And how we're going to do that is this. We're going to watch a quick video together, just giving some more feedback on these processes that I've mentioned, like Alpha and the nations and all those things. And after that video, we're going to stand up together and we're going to enjoy communion. Friends, communion is never sad. I hope you know that. Communion is not about feeling bad as I approach the bread and the juice going, Oh, Jesus. Ek is so jammer. Oh, Jesus. Thank you for enduring for me. That is not what communion is about, friends. Communion is a celebration of God making you new. Communion is a celebration of faith becoming a reality to you. And 
that's what we're going to do after this video. The worship team will invite us to stand and partake in communion. But I want to invite you, once we do that, when you partake in communion, to not only pray and say, thank you that God made you new. That's a given. But ask God for faith for the other side. The other side in your mind. Whether it's the other side of Bloom, where people drive a different car than you, whether it's the, the other side of campus, you know, that hostel where they look different to you, where they talk different than you, where they look different than you, the other side of your office, man, there where your boss normally sits, that could be the other side as well, right? My boss. But when taking communion, ask God to give you faith for the other side. Let's watch the video and then we'll respond in worship. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.